So as many of you have already asked, no, I'm not in a bad mood this morning. I know Green Bay lost. I know we're out of the playoffs. But I will say this, we made it to the playoffs. So, hmm. Um, No, honestly, you know, we get so wound up in all these things that we (laughs) call our life that sometimes it, it does have a tendency to affect our lives. But at the same time, I've learned football's football. But I will say this, one of, one, of my, one of our younger members come up to me and told me something this morning, and I'm sitting there thinking about it as he told me about it. He said, he said did you hear Matt LaFleur's speech or a press conference afterwards, especially about Carlson, our kicker, um, hopefully our ex-kicker. Um, that's harsh. He said that Matt LaFleur says that whenever he gets up to kick the ball, Matt LaFleur just starts praying. And that's the way I was last night. That is a statement. That is a statement. If you really think about it, that's a huge statement because, one, I don't know where Matt LaFleur stands, but we all know what prayer is. And, you know, we all, at some point in our life, make statements. And I'm talking about statements without words even being spoken. This week, our weather is going to make a statement that a lot of people, especially some of you people who've just moved to the area in the last two or three years, is really going to shock you because this week, you are going to experience winter, spring, summer, and fall all in one week. We start off with being very cold in the morning. I think it's going to be about 15 degrees in the morning. And then we start with the warm-up, and here comes the spring showers towards Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, they're talking about summer thunderstorms coming in. And then Sunday, they're talking about the fall cool-down happening. Welcome to the North Georgia mountains. Everyone is trying to make a statement. And everyone has been trying to make a statement for a very long time. Uh, Making a statement is an announcement, a declaration, a proclamation, or even in action without words, stating what you believe or what you stand for. And this isn't something new to us. This has been around for many ages, many ages. During the Vietnam War era, we had the hippies, as we love to call them, trying to make a statement. And one of the things that I didn't realize until I was getting some stuff ready for this was the history of tie-dye. How many of y'all got tie-dye t-shirts? We need to have a tie-dye Sunday, don't we? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Take a selfie of that one. But I didn't know it, but they were talking about the guy who was instrumental in bringing this about loved the concept of tie-dye because tie-dye showed on that shirt that there were no boundaries for the colors, how they would all merge together and how it was all these different colors. And during that time, It was a time where boundaries were extremely loose. As the printing press come along, t-shirts have become even more and more about making a statements. We saw lots of statements last week up in Pigeon Forge with uh, many different t-shirts at many different stores and some we can't even talk about. Even some of our youth made a statement. Our youth were up there, I was so proud of them. They were the best behaved kids, I'm not kidding you. They were really the best behaved kids. But when some of them started coming out, and it's, it's 20 degrees outside, when some of them start coming out in shorts, I knew that they were making a statement. 
But even these statements have been a part of biblical history as well. God's even made plenty of statements himself. After the flood destroys all of the earth, at the end, him and Noah are making a covenant to one another. And he says that I will set a bow in the sky as a promise, the sign of a promise, that whenever you see this, you will know that I will never destroy the earth with water. And this is a statement that God still makes to this day. Many of us don't think about it. When we see a rainbow, that is a statement of a promise that God has made and God will hold. Elijah, when he stood up against the prophets of Baal, that was a huge statement that he was making because it was just Elijah there and he was there with all the prophets of Baal. And they were having the duke out. Again, that was a huge statement. Jesus himself made many statements made many statements without saying many words. When he calmed the storm, that was a huge statement. When he walked on the water, that was a huge statement to who he was. But also, when he sat with the Samaritan woman, that was another major statement, considering he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, and not only that, she was a woman. And that's just not something that happened. The problem with making a statement is that depending on who is observing the statement, they can be misunderstood or even misinterpreted. Today, today God's making a statement. We have had this or I have had this and plans to be speaking on this for months now. Little did I know that we're going to be talking about baptism today, that God would work it out to where we would have a baptism today. Actually, we'll have two baptisms today. And even today, God is still making statements. But the baptism of Jesus Christ is probably, if not, one of the most misunderstood statements that Jesus ever made. Because whenever we look at the baptism of Jesus Christ, there comes about a lot of questions. But before we get into these questions, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and read through verses 13 through 17 because it's important that we get the context about what's being done here and what's being said here so that we can go through some of these misunderstandings. So Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, this is what the Word of God says. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying... I have need to be baptized by you. And do you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, saying to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, he permitted it, being John permitted it. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately. From the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. 
Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to worship together. But also, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your salvation. Not only through our worship, but also through what we will be seeing here in just a few short moments. Father, as we dig into this scripture today, I pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see what it is your word has for us. Because I know many of us, including myself in the past, Lord, we've had many misconceptions about what baptism is. But we've also had a huge misconception over the last 30 to 40 years about what this baptism really means. And about how this baptism, Lord, that we partake in is making a statement to the world. Father, as always, I want to lift up our sister churches to you. Specifically, I want to lift up Antioch to you this morning, Lord, as, as they get ready to have a baptism as well. Thankful for the salvation of Parker, Lord, and thankful that Mary and Jerry and all the family are getting to go be a part of that. But I just pray, God, that you would continue to bless their sister church. And Father, we ask that through us and through them that your glory, your purpose would be made manifest, Lord. We're here for you. So this morning, Lord, help us to see what it is that your word has for us and how we can apply it to our life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Baptism is probably one of the most talked about things that I deal with as a pastor. And I know a lot of people would say, well, I figured that would be salvation. But you've got to understand the reason that baptism is one of the most talked about is because a lot of people join these two together very tightly. Very tightly. And what bothers me about this, and I'm going to tell you why this bothers me so strongly at the end of this, but what bothers me most about this is not only the misconceptions that the world has, but the misconceptions that the church has about what baptism is. For some people, and this is very true, even to this day, some people will say, and I've even seen Facebook posts, even about our baptisms, that will say something like, their sins have been washed away. And I'm going to tell you, my heart grieves when I read these, and I'll explain to you why. Who were we talking about here who was being baptized? Jesus. Did Jesus need to have his sins washed away? Because if we think that Jesus had to have his sins washed away, I'm going to be honest with you, we've got a bigger problem than dealing with baptism. Because Jesus had to come as a perfect sacrifice. He didn't need to have his sins washed away. So if baptism is about washing away the sins, then why would he have to be baptized? Actually, it has nothing to do with that. And if we're going to look at this from a scriptural context, we've got to understand that water does not wash away our sins. And I know some people don't like statements that I make. I'm pretty blunt. But you've got to understand the water that is in this baptism, and I've said this, y'all have heard it. The water that is in this baptism, if it did not go in that baptism, it would be the same water that would flush our toilets this morning. There's nothing holy about that water. There's nothing sacred about that water. It is water. So what does wash away our sins? Glad you asked. 
Leviticus 7, 11, 17, 11 says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sins. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. The only thing that washes away our sins is the blood. The precious blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away our sins. That's it. It's not about the water. So when you get saved, understand this. The atonement of his blood is what makes your sins washed away. Not the water in this baptism. To prove the point a little bit further, 1 John 1.7 says this. But if we walk in the lot as he himself is in the lot, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sins. So when we say that somebody's been baptized and their sins have been washed away, we are actually being totally unbiblical and untheological correct. And it's a problem. The next thing I hear a lot, and I've seen this in Facebook posts too, when somebody's been baptized, thank God for another one saved today. Brothers and sisters, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism, the act of baptism is not what saves you. And to bring about this point, I've got to ask you this question. If baptism is the act of being saved, did Jesus need to be saved? Absolutely not. Jesus needed to be saved from nothing. He is the perfect sacrifice for us. So with that, looking at it in that context, that tells us that baptism has nothing to do with our salvation. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So why... And don't mix up my passion for this with anger, because it's not anger. So, but why is this so important? It's because I daily, weekly, monthly, yearly deal with people who struggle with the security of their salvation. And whenever I sit and talk with somebody about the security of their salvation, it all comes down to one thing. It all comes down to what they've done. Let's just be real here. How many of you have ever struggled, doubted, or even had questions about your salvation? Not enough fingers, not enough legs, not enough anything. We have all battled with this. And the reason we battle with this so much is because we put a lot, we hinge a lot of our salvation based upon what we do. When all actuality, our salvation has nothing to do with what we did except for the faith that was brought to us through Christ that has given us grace. 
And when we use things like baptism to make it a statement based on our salvation or even washing away our sins, understand this, we're relying on something we did to save us. It's small. It's minute. But it's a big, big problem. It is a huge issue. And it's not just in this church that I've heard these things. I hear these things in multiple congregations, multiple denominations. I have brothers that we sit with at breakfast on Tuesday mornings and we talk about these things. And I have brothers that I consider brothers in Christ that we totally disagree on this because of this one thing. Some denominations think that the, salva- the baptism is also a ceiling of a salvation that is to come. Again, that's scripturally incorrect. Because the only ceiling of the salvation that we have to come is through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4 are very clear about this. So why have we had such a misinterpretation about what baptism is? And it's because we've never looked at it through the lenses of what the uh, Word of God says. And understand this. What he's saying is that Jesus is simply making a statement. (laughs) So there's a page of my notes either back there or at home. So we're going off cuff. This would be interesting. (laughs) So let's talk about this for a minute. And let's unpack exactly what Jesus says about his baptism. Because if we look there in verse 15, Jesus said these words. He said, permit it at this time, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So a lot of things that we'll be unpacking in the weeks to come as we go on through the gospel of Matthew. But one thing that we need to unpack a little bit now is, is that Jesus come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. To fulfill it. So there is some symbolism to Jesus coming and being baptized. Whenever there was a sacrifice in the Old Testament, Leviticus and all those laws that are laid out for us, there was some practices that had to happen for a sacrifice to take place. And one of those things was the washing of a sacrifice. The sacrifice did need to be washed. But another symbolism in that was also something that we talked about not too long ago in Hebrews when we talked about the sanctification process of the high priest. The first thing that a high priest would have to do before he even entered the temple was he would have to wash in the brazen altar. And then after he washed in the brazen altar, do you know what happened to him next? He was then anointed with oil. And if you look at the gospel in its entirety, you see this baptism. You see the washing. But later on, you're going to see a young lady by the name of Mary breaking an alabaster flask over Jesus' feet and his head and anointing him with it. The symbolism of what is taking place is amazing when you look at it comparable to the Old Testament. And that was part of the statement that Jesus was trying to make. Understand, Jesus is talking to a majority Jewish culture. So what are they engrossed with? They're engrossed with tabernacle worship. 
They're engrossed with all the rituals that had to take place. So when it says he come to fulfill it, he was coming to make a statement that I am the one. But if you look at where this scripture comes from, it actually comes from Psalm chapter 40. And if you will, turn with me real quick. Psalm chapter 40. Because I want us to look at two verses that really give us an insight into what Jesus was really saying when he came to be baptized. John, Psalm chapter 40, and we're going to stick with verses 7 and 8. Now listen to what it says in verse 7, because this is huge. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. All of the word of God that we have is saturated from page to page all about Jesus. So even in this statement, in the first part of this, this is a reference to Christ saying all of the scrolls, everything you've ever read, everything that you've ever been taught, everything that your parents have handed down to you when it comes to the things of God, it is all about me. But listen to what he says next. Because this is huge, and this is really where it applies to us today. Because in verse 70, or, <clears throat> sorry, missed my post. Verse 8, he says this, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is written in my heart. Think about what he says there. I delight to do the will of God. This is Jesus speaking. His heart is joyful in doing what he's about to do. And I know that's easy for us to look at it from this context of 2,000 years later without having to see all that he's about to do. But have you ever thought about this thought? That every lash that Jesus took of the 30, 40 minus one lashes, it was a joy for him to take them. Every step of carrying that crossbeam up to that hill, Golgotha, Calvary, was a joy for him to take it. Every piercing of that crown of thorns that went through his forehead and into his skull, it was a joy for that to happen. Every single pounding of those nails going through his hands, that was a joy for him to do that. The six hours that he spent on this cross was a joy for him to take part in. The spear that was drove through his side, that was a joy for him to be a part of. The anguish, the agony, the mocking, the pain, all of it was a joy for him to be a part of. Yes, because that was 
the Father's will. But even when Christ was baptized, he was doing it in obedience to what he knew the Father's will was. The act of baptism is a commitment. And I know, salvation is a commitment too. But the act of baptism is one of those things where you're not only making a commitment to God, you're making a commitment before all the people. And this is where a lot of people hinge on this. The reason they hinge on this is because, let's just be honest, how many of us really understand the weight of the commitment that we've made to make Jesus our Lord? Have we really thought about that? Because if we give 100% allegiance, 100% obedience, 100% of ourselves to him, that means that we give absolutely zero effort and zero concern to our well-being, our thoughts, our opinions, and everything else. Because when we make Jesus our Lord, everything that we are is his. And I know this is why it scares so many people with baptism. Because you may have made that profession to God. But when you make this profession to the people that are around you, you're making a bold statement. And you know what? The people that you're making a bold statement to are most likely the ones that are going to see you fail. Let's just get this out. All of us fail. All of us fail. On a daily basis, we all struggle with sins, with temptations, and many things that come at us from every single direction. And let's just be real. Not all of us make the right choice. Sometimes we allow anger to overcome us. I'm extremely guilty of that. Sometimes we allow lust to even overtake us. I have been guilty of that. Sometimes we allow addictions to overtake us. Again, I have been guilty of that. Sometimes we allow opinions to overtake us. Again, I have been guilty of that. But when we put on this wedding ring, as I call it, of saying to the world that Christ is our Savior. Sometimes it's hard for us to make that step because we know we live in a harsh, judgmental world because they're going to watch us. They're going to be the first ones that say, I thought you was a Christian. They're going to be the first ones that say, I thought you knew better than this. And they're going to be the first ones, and I'm sorry, to most likely turn their back on you when grace is what we all deserve. Making this public statement is a scary thing. But at the same time, it should be a joy. It should be a joy for us to enter into these baptism waters to go into these waters acknowledging 
the death of the old person in us. It should be a joy for us to be lifted down into that and acknowledging the death of Christ that has made atonement for us. But you know what should even be more joyful? The resurrection after we come out of those waters. Because when we do that, we are saying that we are trusting and believing in the resurrection of our lives that is to come. But we all make it about do's and don'ts, don't we? And this is where do's and don'ts rob us. It robs us of that joy. Now let's, let's just talk real just for a second. I'm old school. Because I grew up in a time to where I was given the little league speech a lot. You know what I'm talking about? If you start something, you're going to. That's the little league speech. How many of you have given it to your kids? Yeah. How many of you have been given that little league speech? Yeah. How many of you have tried your best to hold to that speech? Yeah. How many of you have failed at that speech? Yeah. But at the same time, that is a makeup in me. And blame my mom. She's the one who did it, okay? I didn't, I mean, honestly, it's her, it's her fault. But it's something that I hold close to. And it's something I hold close to in all of my life. I committed to my wife, my life, and you know what? I'm going to do my best to hold to it. The same thing with my boys. I committed to bring them into this world, raising them up and helping them to be the young men that I know God desires for them. And I'm going to do everything in my power to finish that. I did the same thing when I took this church. Being pastor of this church, I committed my life to you and I'm going to do everything I can to fulfill it. But ultimately, when I surrendered my life to Christ, I made the ultimate commitment to Him because I said, Lord, everything I am is Yours. And because of that, everything that you are is mine. And so that's where we struggle. Is there grace? Yes. But at the same time, sometimes we need to rehash this little league speech in our head. We need to hear it. Because once we start something, this isn't something that you quit. This isn't something that you just stop being. Good friend of mine, back when I was younger, we went through some very hard times together. And me and him were talking a couple of years ago, and it was crazy because, you know, God really got a hold of me back about 2003, 2004. That's when he started working on me. And about 2007 is when God really started working on Danny as well. And I was amazed to see the progress that I've seen in Danny's life. And I loved seeing him grow in Christ. And me and him talked about it. I, he loved seeing me grow in Christ. He thought it was the most hilarious thing that God called me to ministry. I still think it's funny too, to be honest with you. 
But a couple of years ago, you know, me and Danny hadn't got to see each other much. And a couple of years ago, me and Danny run into each other. And I just went up to him and I said, I said, man, how's everything going? He said, it's going good. He said, work's busy. You know, I just got married and everything's going great with that. I said, that's awesome. I said, where are you going to church? He said, yeah, I don't do that no more. I was like, okay, so you don't do church no more? He said, no, I don't do the whole Christian thing no more. And I'm just like, wait a minute. How do you do that? How do you just stop doing it? How do you make a commitment to someone so great, so powerful, your creator, and then just out of the blue say, yeah, I'm not going to do that no more. But at the same time, we've all had the notion We've all had that urging. Let's just be real. There have been times in every one of our lives that every single one of us has said, I can't do this. Because life is tough. Life is hard. And living the life that we've called to live, it's even harder. It's so hard. Try to measure up to a sinless, perfect, holy, humble, meek Savior. Besides, what we missed it. Because He never told us to hold up to it. He told us to trust in it. He told us that anyone who will come to me, I will give you rest. But see, we've really fallen short of entering that rest. Why? Because just like the things we talked about earlier, I think it's so much about us. And it's not. It's all about him. So where are we at this morning? For most of you, most of you made this public profession, just like the public profession that Jesus made to the, to the world. And it's funny, when Jesus made the statement about who he was by being baptized, there's an immediate rebuttal and God makes a statement about his approval of it. God also makes a statement in that and saying, you know, right here's evidence. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right before you. This is who I am. But when we stepped into these waters, we told a congregation and God who we are. And I'm being very careful on this because this can go into legalism in a very fast rate. But I do want to ask you this. Have you held to the statement that you made? Have you held to the statement that you made when you walked into these waters? Your waters may have been like mine, a lot colder than this. 
Don't. It's not about where it was at. But at the same time, no, I haven't held to that statement. But the amazing thing is, is Christ has always held to me. And I know Christ will continue to hold to me. And as these candidates fixing to get into this water, not only are they making a statement to you about who their Savior is, baptism candidates, I want you to listen to me on this. You're making a statement to what you're trusting in. Don't miss that. You are trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to fulfill every need of your life. And this morning, that's what we celebrate. This morning, if Tommy and the praise team come up, I want to ask you two questions. First question is this. Do you need to return to that commitment? I didn't say, do you need to renew that commitment? Because once you make a commitment, you don't renew it. Sometimes you've got to return to it, though. But this morning, do you need to return to that commitment that you made when you walked into these waters, when you made him your Savior? If so, grace is here. Whether you need to come to the altar this morning or do it in your pew, Grace is here. But the second question is equally as important. Because maybe you have never made that commitment. And this morning, you fully understand the commitment that God has made to you. To take every bit of that from you. If that's you this morning, I'm going to be right here during the invitation. And I know it's going to be awkward even had a young lady this week at the conference say, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yes, it does. But I want to be right here. I want to pray with you. I just want to go through some scripture with you. But I want to share with you about the commitment that God has made to you and the commitment that you're making to him this morning. Regardless of where you stand, how will you respond to God this morning? Pray with me. Father, you are so good. You've never forsaken us. You've never left us. You've never, you've never said, I'm done with that. Your gospel screams of your running after us constantly, day and night, through light and darkness. You came for us. And Father, this morning we are thankful for the commitment that you've made to us. But Father, this morning we're also asking for help with the commitment that we made to you. Because you, God, you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. You alone are the only one who deserves our total devotion. And Father, this morning I pray that you would help us all with that. Father, for those who may not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them in. But Father, more importantly, we pray that everything that is done this morning, from the praise, to the sermon, to 
even this baptism that will be saturated for your glory and your purpose. We love you, Lord. Now deal with us as we come to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.